0: Hey everyone, it's me, Ian Shapiro, your host for Politics Explained. Before we get on to the show today, starting with, as always, Trump Tweets Explained, we have a call-in with, you know, listener comments on on Trump's comments, yeah, that's right, from his Phoenix, Arizona rally that occurred earlier this week. So, without further ado, take it away, Roberto.
1: It's politically expedient for Donald Trump to only highlight parts of his speech that are favorable to him. And while it's completely disingenuous, it's a very practical measure on his part. And I think if we saw more practicality and pragmatism from him um, and him just being more presidential in general, people would be less worrisome. And I think that, well, his tweets They're an issue because they're reflective of how impulsive he is. And while that, for populism's sake, may make him uh, just like more accessible and more favorable to the lowest common denominator, it's not great for his political allies. It's not great for the country. And I think that we all just need a return to sanity because we're too often wondering if this is the real world. So this brings up an
0: interesting point. At what junctions in Trump's presidency has he been pragmatic versus when has he acted maybe emotionally, irrationally, or without thinking it through first? Uh, Is Trump even the kind of person who, you know, doesn't just, you know, offhandedly make comments that rub people the wrong way? And as our next caller in Zvi says, is Trump really does he really have the right personality for the office not not making any kind of like unfitness for office argument based on, you know, lashing out or provoking North Korea, but more, is it good for Trump's own mental health? This is an individual who thrives on uh, individuals liking him. Twitter is his, you know, social media and communication tool of choice, and that platform is all about how popular and how well-liked you are. Uh, You know, Trump may be one of the individuals on Twitter who really get both sides of the political divide very vocal about each and every one of his tweets, uh, even the ones that people don't necessarily understand why he's tweeting so early in the morning. Uh, so let's get a psychological take on whether Trump is actually enjoying himself in the White House. Uh, take it away, S-B.
2: Hi Ian, Um, the way I see uh, your segments, they are very factual and, (laughs) I don't know, scientific in some kind of a flavor, and you seem to shy away from making any personal comments about that from, so um, I'm not bound by, (laughs) I don't feel bound by the same uh, limitations uh, or boundaries, so I just want to bring um, something that Howard Stern, another controversial person, uh, a comment that he made on about Trump um, early on in the game. And um, they actually are uh, longtime friends. So to sum it up, Howard Stern said, Trump wants to be loved. And I need another uh, one-minute segment. He asked, just to repeat the last words. so Howard Stern, and that was on CNN on February 2nd of this year. Howard Stern said, Trump wants to be loved. Presiden- presidency will be detrimental to his mental health. And to me, that is so insightful on the part of Howard Stern and uh, Somehow, he predicted that Trump will not enjoy a lot of love uh, based on his actions, communication, tweeting, and that the effect on the on him will be negative. And I think this is what we are witnessing. So, <laughs> here is a personal statement about Trump. Not very scientific.
0: Hey everyone, it's me in Shapiro. Coming a little late today uh, to the party, but you know I was looking over Trump's tweets, and you know he's yelling about fake news, um, talking about how they are reporting on different Trump styles and how they don't like some of them for some of his major remarks that he's made at different rallies and speeches over the last week. Uh, he talked about Mitch McConnell, who's kind of having a public not public staring contest with uh, saying that he has nothing against Mitch McConnell. He's just really upset that Mitch McConnell wasn't able to force through repeal and replacement after Republicans pledged for about seven years uh, to get that done. Now, eh, so Trump's very angry about uh, failing on that campaign promise that has been a Republican campaign promise. Yeah, for about the last seven years. However, as Trump himself has said, healthcare policy is complicated and there was never actually a good piece of legislation. And when I say good, I mean a piece of healthcare legislation that was, you know, either popular with the American people, popular with legislators, um, actually gave more or uh, more beneficial uh, healthcare, gave health care to more people, or made it more accessible to individuals to actually use the health care that they have. Uh, the GOP bills really didn't do much of these very, uh, I would say, crucial things for legislation that to be called, you know, healthcare policy. So all of that is a really long way of saying that uh, there's just nothing in Trump's tweets to really explain today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about politics, but with the CCES in mind, that is the Cooperative Congressional Election Study, uh, which is a huge survey of about 50,000 Americans that they do during election time. Uh, and there's some interesting... Uh, Interesting findings that are being shared around the internet about what are being called Sanders-Trump voters, and those are Sanders voters in the primary who switched over to voting for Donald Trump in the general election. And we'll get to that right after this. So like I said, uh, with the CCES, which is the Cooperative Congressional Election Study, which is a huge election survey of about 50,000 people in the United States, there's one big finding that people are kind of tearing apart, diagnosing, and kind of disseminating across the internet. You can see stories on this on uh, the monkey cage, on Washington Post, NPR has a cute little write-up, and a few others have it as well. Essentially, the headline here is that 1 in 10 Bernie Sanders supporters during the primary election between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton ended up voting for Trump in the national election. And so people are kind of furrowing their brows and saying, well, which Bernie supporters would also support Donald Trump? That's a pretty thin slice on the Venn diagram. And also, if this is even true, did it make a difference in the election, right? If those Bernie supporters went over to Hillary, uh, could it have tipped the tides electorally speaking? Well, political science professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, Brian Schaffner, says that there's an interesting thing about this, uh, this crossover between who voted for Bernie and for Trump. And it definitely seems like partisanship has a bit to do with it. What he calls Sanders-Trump voters were much less likely than Sanders-Clinton voters or Sanders-Third Party voters to have been Democrats in the first place. So it looks like the slice of the population that voted for Bernie Sanders that was not Democrat tend to be the individuals that went over and voted for Trump in the 2016 presidential election. How much Sanders voters supported Barack Obama also mattered. For example, if you took all of the Sanders voters together and then sliced off the part of them that also voted for Trump during the general election, you would see that this small slice of Sanders voters did not like Obama very much, or at least they liked Obama a lot less than that larger slice of the pie of Sanders' primary voters. So if this slice of the Sanders voter population would have turned out for Hillary Clinton instead of Trump, would she have won the election by taking the Electoral College votes of places like Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin? Well, the answer is yes, but hold your horses on that rage train. That also assumes that everything else is equal. And it's certainly, you know, you can't say in this world that everything would have been equal. If you're saying that, well, Trump got those supporters that he shouldn't have, Hillary Clinton got quite a few Republican supporters that supported people like Jeb Bush and uh, Marco Rubio in the primary of the Republican Party, uh, and Clinton got those during the general election. So, you know, in a fair world where kind of those defectors switch sides and then we kind of take them back, Hillary Clinton would still lose Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So, torches down, everyone. Torches down. Now here's some editorial. A lot of people are looking at these, uh, these, uh, I guess these articles and saying, hey, the election's over, we need to trust in Trump, or hey, the election's over, we need to just make sure that Trump isn't on the ticket in 2020. As a political scientist, I can say that this data is very important. And it's important for a few reasons. Number one, having 50,000 uh, respondents is nothing to wave your nose at. When people tend to say that the polling's wrong and that margins of error are too large, uh, this survey, you know, the survey question wordings on a lot of these questions have been done for years and years, and so we can actually get over time information about how the American electorate thinks and behaves. That's really cool and that's really useful for our understanding of politics in the future, How elected officials communicate with their constituents, how constituents communicate with their elected officials were able to know, like in this case, what is it about the Sanders uh, supporters that also got them to support Trump uh, in the first place, when you would think that these types of people would never be compatible uh, with electing that same type of candidate. Some really cool stuff in here. And for more really cool stuff in politics, uh, keep uh, listening to Politics Explained with me, Ian Shapiro, each and every day. I love you all so much, and I'll see you tomorrow.